I didn't know that some of the terms we've heard and used through the years were actually demographic segments, like yuppie. Preppy, well-educated, well-off. My goal uh, is to be glam, so graying, leisured, and moneyed. Before you get there, you have to be a muppy, an upwardly mobile, middle-aged, prosperous professional. But you got to avoid becoming a sitcom. Single income, two kids, oppressive mortgage. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and digital patient engagement strategies for hospitals, healthcare systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into a variety of topics on the digital tools, solutions, strategies, and processes that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information and have fun along the way. And now, here are your hosts, Reed Smith and Chris Boyer. Welcome to episode 84 of Touchpoint. I am Reed Smith, joined as always by Chris Boyer. How's it going? Pretty good, Reed. Thank you all for listening. Uh, y'all have been a huge help. Mm-hmm. Uh, please, please, please uh, tell a friend. It's the best way, obviously. Word of mouth that anybody can find yeah. out about the show. Uh, so if you'll go out, rate, review, subscribe, wherever you get your podcast, that is uh, super helpful to us and all the other shows on the network. So. Uh, we certainly appreciate that. And mm-hmm. um, thank you to those who have taken the listener survey. Uh, if you don't know what that is, it's just a quick couple of questions, like literally like a two-minute survey uh, that we've got over on our site at touchpoint.health that lets us know a little bit more about you, your listening habits, and how we can make the shows better. So we'd certainly appreciate that feedback. Absolutely. And since we're asking things, Reed, maybe we can ask our listeners to listen to one of our uh, acknowledgments of the of a sponsor of our show, that is Loyal Health. Reed, did you know that uh, healthcare consumers want to know what other patients have to say? And they really pay attention to those little stars behind a physician's name. That's right. For healthcare systems, embracing doctor reviews and star ratings is a win-win, but only if you do it the right way. And that's where Loyal comes in because they have an AI-driven platform that provides health systems with the tools they need to amplify that patient feedback and also guide patients throughout their digital journey. With its multidisciplinary team of engineers, marketers, and data scientists, Loyal partners with the nation's leading healthcare systems to promote patient feedback online. And so our final ask is for more information, just jump out to their website, loyalhealth.com and schedule a demo. Be sure to let them know that the Touchpoint podcast sent you their way. That is loyalhealth.com. There you go. All right. Well, we're mm-hmm. talking uh, today about segmentation. I mean, we've talked about this, I guess, to some degree or indirectly, directly, I don't know, uh, as we've talked about personas and things like that through different episodes. But Before we get too far down the path of actually talking about that, maybe we talk a little bit first about what segmentation actually is. Reed, you found a really good Wikipedia article. I think this is one of the most thorough Wikipedia articles I've seen in a long time. It really is. We could probably just read the Wikipedia entry as the episode for today, but uh, we, we won't do that. And we'll, we'll provide some some original commentary in there. But it's always nice to go there. I think um, from episode to episode, it's a great place for us to get some basic definitional content. And so this is how Wikipedia 
defines segmentation. So they say market segmentation is the activity of dividing a broad consumer or business market, normally consisting of existing and potential customers into subgroups. Segments. Known as segments, right? And that's based on some sort of a characteristic. So in dividing, segmenting markets, uh, researchers typically look for common characteristics such as shared needs, common interests, similar lifestyles, or even similar demographic profiles, with the overall aim of segmentation is to identify high-yield segments. That is, you know, which ones are likely to become customers, which ones, more importantly, are maybe profitable customers, and where's the growth potential, things like that. There's a lot of stuff that you can get lost on with this Wikipedia article, but segmentation has been around for quite a while. They have a really brief history of segmentation. I guess it was a, uh, a business historian, Richard S. Tedlow, which sounds like a business historian name. If I ever heard one. Is the S for segmentation? Is it Richard Segmentation Tedlow? Certainly it should be. But he identifies four stages in the evolution of market segmentation. The first happened in the pre-1880s. That was the fragmentation segmentation. And that was because the economy was characterized by small regional suppliers who kind of sold goods to a specific region. That's a long time ago. People were not very, uh, I guess, mobile back then. And So from the 1880s to the 1920s is unification or mass mass marketing. We don't think about mass marketing happening in the 1800s, but here we are. So as transportation systems improved, the economy became unified. Standardization to achieve, you know, economies of scale and the trains and, you know, transportation was all behind it. And then after the 20s, between the 1920s and 1980s, this is actually the period of time where segmentation started to become a thing because mm-hmm. as market size increased, Manufacturers were able to produce different types of things pitched at the various demographic and psychographic segments. So this is like the Mad Men era, right? Where yes. you could actually start to say, you know, we want to target women with cigarettes as opposed to doctors with cigarettes. This is the era where market differentiation based on demographic, socioeconomic, and lifestyle factors really rose. And then finally, post-1980, a shift towards uh, what he's calling hyper-segmentation. So now we're talking about you know narrow market segments, uh, technological advancements, especially in the area of digital communications, allows marketers to communicate with individuals or very small groups, sometimes known as one-to-one marketing. So now I'm getting a little confused because I've heard other terms related to segmentation, and I don't know the differences between them. Reed, what's the difference between a segment and a persona? So we've talked about personas, right? And that's that's a fictitious description of a person, right? I mean, this is it's a lot of characteristics. Personas reside inside the market segment that we're targeting. So like like a segment is like a, a section, really, of your audience, but then within any segment, I guess you can have multiple different personas, right? With different qualitative and quantitative characteristics. And then we talked about one-to-one segmentation or segmenting to one. That to me sounds a lot like personalization or like what the promise of personalization is. It is. But that seems to me like a little bit nirvonic, right? I don't think we're actually anywhere close to that. So are we really just doing segmentation versus personalized marketing? Is that that what we're saying? Is that the question? 
I guess so. Or is personalization targeting or marketing to the individuals within your persona group, which are within the segment? Is it like kind of a Russian nesting doll? I guess so. I mean, because in all reality, and, and we've seen this in a few articles that we'll, we'll obviously share one specifically from Meltwater, but personalization really is saying a segment of one. I don't know that that's achievable right this minute, at least not very consistently. I don't know. I would argue that maybe like bigger companies like Amazon, Google, and Facebook maybe are a lot closer than us as hospital systems are. But but yeah, certainly. I mean, I think that's something that that requires a lot of information and a lot of data, propensity modeling, predictive analytics is like a whole bunch of stuff that's in there. I think we all ultimately want to go towards personalization, but the path to that is very, very difficult right now. Is that fair to say? It absolutely is. I mean, again, we're doing it in chunks to some degree. You know, even if you think back to, gosh, 15 years ago when I first started doing this, we were still doing segmentation because you had affinity groups. We had the 55 plus program at the hospital, whatever it was called, senior circle or something. Is that what it was called? I don't know. Silver sneakers? Fine. I don't know. Something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We did blood pressures at the mall when they walked in the morning and stuff like that. It was really sophisticated. And then we also had one for expected mothers. We physically mailed them in an envelope, <laughs> a piece of collateral that talked about the particular month that they were in their in their journey, right, in their pregnancy. And so it talked about what to expect in month five, you know, for example. You know, that was segmentation or was that personalization? I think that's segmentation because it's just generic. Going to a persona or personalization is where you get into other things. A persona, you'll get into some of their other interests. So maybe you'll find expectant mothers also might be interested in shopping at Whole Foods, and then you're pulling in some other like interests to kind of help flavor that segment a little bit more. And personalization is saying you as an individual expectant mother, we know that you're due on this date. And um, we're giving you information that's not only what to expect in month four, but it's also here's your next appointment. And here's what your nurse had to say or your doctor or what have you. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I think the idea, especially especially the example of the seniors program, the 55 plus program, that's segmentation. I mean, because it's just like, hey, it's any and everybody. And the only parameter is is age. So I guess there's a geographic constraint there too, but still. I think there's different types of segmentation that you could uh, you could get into, and it depends on where you go. You could see multiple different types of uh, segmentation characteristics, or you know, elements of a of a segment. You know, narrowing it down to you, first of all, the demographic segmentation is important. You know, looking at population characteristics like age, gender, income, education, socioeconomic status family size, all of those characteristics are part of that type of segmentation. And they're quantifiable, right? I mean, we can we can say what they are. It's that that column or this column. Or, you know, there's, there's some way to check the box. So you got demographic, then maybe behavioral segmentation, you know, purchasing, consumption, usage, you know, that kind of thing. So that's an interesting one. I mean, you can get into the frequency or loyalty piece of it, I guess, and that's a little bit Easier for me to wrap my mind around. Um, you know, some of them like buyer readiness. That's a little harder to measure. 
And I think some CRM uh, propensity modeling plays into this behavioral segmentation, you know, where they say that, you know, maybe you are, you have been diagnosed as being overweight and having COPD, but that could be also mean that you have a higher propensity of also having uh, type two diabetes. Isn't that a behavioral segmentation? That makes sense. That makes a ton of sense. Psychographic segmentation is another one. That's like the lifestyle, social, or personality characteristics. It's sort of what I, I talked about before with uh, maybe expectant mothers shop at Whole Foods, right? Or they they buy particular types of lotions that are scent-free, that sort of thing. Those are more psychographic in, in, in nature, but um, they're focused on your lifestyle, your social, and your personality characteristics. Uh, another one, and this one, this one's probably fairly logical, especially as we talk about service areas uh, of our organizations, but it's geographic segmentation. For very, very large organizations, it could be country level, probably not for most of us, but for some uh, regions, you know, and this could be regions of the country, it could be regions of the state, you know, those types of things, obviously statewide. And then you got things like uh, county, city, town size, you know, other municipality kind of lines, if you will. Uh, we, we talk a lot about primary and secondary service area or maybe combined service areas. Technically speaking, when you talk about geographic, there's things like climate zone. I don't, I've yet to meet the hospital that targets via their climate zone, but you know, maybe, maybe you have a campaign for your subtropical audience. Maybe you have people that are, what are they called? Summer birds or snowbirds? Snowbirds, right? So snowbirds that fly from, you know, where I live here in Minnesota down to Florida over the wintertime. And one thing I think that's come along in recent years, um, and I don't know what recent years means now that I've said that, but in recent years, when you're talking about geographic is the idea of um, particular subdivisions or planned communities. I don't know. Planned communities are huge down here, right? And so you have certain uh, homeowners associations and things like that. So you may be segmenting based on, hey, they're the ones that live, and I'm talking here in Austin, for example, in Steiner Ranch. Could be multiple postal codes or maybe even multiple cities, but it's a part of town. So like maybe even retirement communities that are being set up where you you create maybe a clinic that serves that community specifically, because you know they, they probably won't leave that frequently, and this will be a great place to have a primary care facility. So the fifth one is, is the one I, I, I struggle with, Reed, which is contextual and situational. Consumer changes in their attractiveness to market markets and marketers based on context and situation. Isn't that just like everything? <laughs> it's like, that's like, <laughs> that's the overlap of like, you know, and for everybody that doesn't fit in one of these, you know, one of those things, I think some of that is, um, with the advent of digital and digital targeting, programmatic bidding, what they've done historically. So you get into this idea of like people have shopped here, used this or like this thing. And I could see this also working like when we do a lot of marketing automation programming that, you know, you could say that a person that went attended an online webinar uh, and then downloaded a, a PDF about bariatric surgery, for example, are most likely to act and make an appointment with, uh, you know, a doctor. And then you could start to create that as a segment. Do you think that fits in this segment? Yeah, probably so. Those are some interesting segments. Uh, you know, there's a, any other of them come to mind? I mean, I know we said there's a bunch of them out there, but one that comes to mind for me that's 
sort of here, but sort of not. We talk about it all the time, but it's not necessarily listed black and white here, but it's the, the generational segment. Is this the part of the podcast where we actually knock millennials again? I think so. No, seriously, though, I think there are generational segments or segmentation, and, and a lot more work has been done around various different ones. And we've covered that before, I think. We, you know, we were ta- talking earlier about expectant mothers, right? Uh, we hear that the, there's a new segment called Millennial Moms. And these are mothers or mothers-to-be that are purchasing and interacting with care a little bit differently than other generations before them because the advent of digital technologies and the way they search for information, all that other thing. Yeah. And the fact that they're, you know, all about participation trophies. (laughs) Boom. There it was. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so that's that's generational segments along those same lines is cultural segmentation. I think we do it very broadly when we talk about, you know, uh, advertising for different languages, right? Or different different cultures. Broadly in terms of you change the language of your advertising, but I've also seen in some health systems where they go very specifically after a particular cultural segment, right? For example, in in a hospital I worked with in the Bay Area of San Francisco, they had a segment for people that were coming from China that were newly relocated to San Francisco and fashion their care delivery in a way that's actually more relatable to people that are new to the U.S. from China. Well, and then last one, and I swear we'll move on. I think we do a fair amount of segmentation just in the way that we actually execute marketing activities within hospitals. So online versus offline. We do try to target folks that participate online certain ways, you know, with, with groups and uh, health risk assessment tools and you know, things like that, because we know that's the way people would like to participate. Hey, we want to take a moment to thank one of our sponsors, and that's our good friends at Binary Fountain. You know, as a healthcare marketer, it's probably pretty obvious these days how much time you're spending uh, on reviews, ratings relative to hospitals, physicians, all that kind of good stuff. You know, too many of those are going unanswered, and they're certainly not being analyzed. This could be costing us new and current customers. It could be impacting our patient experience scores and potentially impacting our revenue. Luckily, our good friends at Binary Fountain have an online reputation management platform called Binary Health Analytics. If you'd like to learn more or even schedule a demo, visit them online at binaryfountain.com. That's binaryfountain.com. If you're looking for some simple rules to begin your market segmentation, we found four of them that actually might be really helpful. Probably the most important thing is don't define your segments too broadly. We don't want to say, well, we're going to target women between the ages of 25 and 45. I think that's too broad of a segment for you to be effective. And let's face it, People out there are very advanced at market segmentation. We need to be a little bit more advanced the way we do things too in order to keep up. And ultimately, I mean, by doing it too broadly, then you're just not doing it, <laughs> right? I mean, that's that's kind of how that works. And so, again, there, there's a balance. You don't want to get too niche because uh, then there may not be enough there to really glean anything from or, or to target for that matter. You know, 10 years ago when I was working in a health system and I asked a marketer, I said, who are you trying to target? And they said, anyone that uses Google. That's not hard. Let's work a little bit more on that segmentation there because that's that's pretty much everybody. Okay. Google plus. Oh, that's it. Okay. That's too niche. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. 
Secondly, a second rule, uh, organize your business by market segments. Many begin by establishing market-focused teams or groups, uh, which later get organized into market-focused business models. So I know, you know, us working in marketing and communication, so to speak, uh, don't necessarily get to grab the reins and, you know, structure the way our business is done. But I do think we can look at our business goals, business objectives, growth strategies, um, you know, however your organization kind of terms that stuff in the business plan um, and try to identify, well, what market segments do we need to look at for these different things? You know, and then ultimately what personas fit inside that. Where I see this a lot is organizations, uh, health systems, which traditionally have been doing like service line approach marketing are starting to say, okay, why don't we target women's health and define maybe a service offering and kind of bundle together all the different things that we could do for women in that segment. Or they look at geriatric care, the silver sneakers approach, right? Or whatever it is. Here's a bundle of services that we traditionally can provide that segment and kind of market all of those together rather than in the individual service line. I think people are valuing the idea of affinity. Um, You know, we've talked for some years now about, you know, mom being the chief medical officer of the home. And so, that typically starts with her having a baby and then there's you know, pediatric care and then her care, um, you know, potentially then, you know, her making appointments for the kids and the husband and, you know, th- that whole scenario. But I think we do see, you know, that particular segment, you know, could have different personas in it, like we talked about and get marketed to in different ways about different types of things. I think just this idea of organizing your business by market segments, um, I think it's great. And I think probably most hospitals do that, even if they don't do it purposely, you know, that that's not what they meant to do. There there are logical market segments for the growth strategies of the organization. Okay. Here's another one. uh, The third of the four simple rules, which is manage your segments globally. And what this means, and this is something that I see a lot too, if you're going to define segments, make sure those segments are consistent across all your different marketing activities. And even more so, if if possible, make sure that those segments are used globally across your organization. So if on the clinical side, they're maybe delivering clinical care services to different segments, you might want to try to align your marketing segments to those segments. So you're, you're speaking the same language. It makes logical sense, right? Um, you know, we don't want to constantly be stepping on each other's toes. And two, I think it, this goes back to not being too broad uh, as well, you know, the first piece of it. So, uh, again, if you were, um, you know, setting up and, and running campaigns and things like that to particular segments, you know, it needs to be able um, to carry on for an extended period of time if need be, right? And then finally, number four is uh, complete uh, your analysis and research, then be bold about attacking those segments. So I don't think it's an accident. It's worded that way. (laughs) Uh, Analysis and research comes before the execution. You know, I think it's important to look at the growth strategies, uh, determine what those segments, at least what you think they may be. Uh, do that analysis, do the research, do the beta testing, whatever that means, the focus groups, et cetera, to really understand what that is um, and then you know, go after it. Because if you, if you don't have the execution, obviously, if you're not bold enough about that, then you may not have enough coming back to really determine, you know, was, was that successful or not? So, Reed, you're saying that your market research has to be a little bit more than just doing a Google search? 
and finding out like what are the typical healthcare market segments? Yeah, I mean, I'd at least look at like Facebook analytics as well. <laughs> well, and we all, we also know that you know people over the age of sixty five never really use a computer anymore, right? Nope. Not at all. Now, I think that these are some of the things you have to check your assumptions at the door, right? Analysis and research is a critical part of this. And we've had a couple of episodes before around market research and, and market analysis. But I think it's very important that you focus on this the right way and, and, and validate against those segments sometimes throughout your uh, process of developing a marketing plan before you can actually go after and market them. And that's a pretty sophisticated approach and it sometimes can lead to interesting results. And, you know, in the interview coming up, uh, Suzanne was talking about she had a whole marketing plan set up and then ran it by her audience segment and they hated it. They didn't like it. And she had to go back to the drawing table around it. Yeah, but isn't it much better to have it happen then versus like, huh, well, I guess that didn't work <laughs> kind of approach, right? You got some great things there to think about and um, you know, some, some really interesting takeaways with an interesting segment. And so I think, you know, uh, segmentation should allow you, especially the research involved, should allow you and your company, uh, the hospital, physician group, whatever it is, with a clear direction on how to move forward um, and how to target and those types of things. And let's not forget, you know, when we say, you know, the segmentation is the reason we're doing it is because we're trying to find, and you'll see this a lot, but what's profitable to the, to the business, so to speak. Um, now, with that said, profitability, you know, when we're talking about ROI and things like that. This is really a whole nother discussion in healthcare. Um, maybe, maybe in healthcare, when we're talking about this, it could be the, you know, appropriateness uh, or something like that. It, depending on how you're measuring and what it is that you're doing, it, it may not always be downstream revenue. Uh, that would be great if it was, but you know that may not necessarily be what you're doing. I think it's fair to say in terms of segmentation, profitability is not necessarily financial profitability, but it's really the business objective profitability. So if you're doing population health segments and trying to do care avoidance, in that case, what you're trying to do, your profitability is around better health outcomes in the community, which may or may not be them using your services more. As we've talked here, uh, let's look at the four main stages that need to be considered when implementing your marketing segmentation plan. Again, high level, uh, the devil's in the details here, but you definitely, um, to implement a better market segmentation plan, the first stage is you have to understand what your objectives are. What are you trying to do? Maybe you understand what your segment is, but you have to set objectives and goals for that segment. What do you want them to do? And, and how, how do you know that they did it? That sounds logical, but I don't know that we necessarily necess- you know, start out that way or identify you know, or set goals in that, in that manner. Um, and, you know, you, you look for, you know, additional variables in the segmentation and, and things like that. I think we go into all of this with a certain hypothesis, but, you know, it's nice to, you know, line that out, right? And then spending time identifying your customer segments. This is where you get into your research design, your data collection, really looking at uh, you know the qualitative and quantitative definition of your segment and ensuring mm-hmm. that that data is correct. That's where you validate everything. Uh, and then third, develop a segmentation strategy. So you select the targeted segment, you identify segmentation implications and recommendations. And so this is where 
you know, you're really putting together, you know, how, how are we doing this? What's the plan to move this forward? What is the plan? Because step four is executing on that go-to-market plan, identifying the stakeholders, developing that communications and marketing approach, and then getting it out there in market and then testing it, making sure it works. Yeah, that's always a good thing. It's usually best to know if things work or not. We would definitely, you know, <laughs> recommend that. A lot of these things, as you hear them, you're probably going, oh, okay, yeah, we do that. So I think it's just being, you know, purposeful and systematic and uh, really looking at, okay, well, what what are we doing? How are we doing it? And, you know, maybe it's just documenting and putting a process in place because a lot of these things you may already be doing. Hey, Chris, before we go too much further, jump into this next segment of the podcast, I did want to uh, mention and thank uh, one of our sponsors, Influence Health. Uh, you know, they've got a consumer experience platform that, that covers several things. And correct me if I'm wrong, but we've we've talked about content management systems on this podcast. Yeah, we did. What about CRMs? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we covered CRMs for sure. And then obviously each and every week we talk about digital marketing. So digital marketing systems, uh, you know, in one way, shape or form have probably been covered, right? That's right. Digital marketing systems. And I would say that we even talk about it in a way of uh, that overall digital consumer experience. Well, there you go. I, you know, I would I would recommend for anybody interested in one of those topics uh, or anything else. They've also got some complimentary solutions on their website. But but head over to their website, take a look at what they've got and what they're offering relative to CMS, CRM, digital marketing systems. Kind of how all that is woven together in what they call their consumer experience platform. Find your way over to influencehealth.com. Touch point. Touch counterpoint. There are two sides to every story. Ready? Fight! All right, Reed, we're getting into the segment of the. Wow, see what I did there? Segment. Uh, we're getting into the segment of the episode. The segmentation of the episode. <laughs> the, and, and what actually one person in our listener survey said they are not a big fan of, which is the touch point, touch counterpoint argument. But I still think it's there's some value here, particularly if we, if we look at the effectiveness of using segmentation versus, say, personas or personalization. Mm. For hospitals and health systems today, Reed, what do you think is more effective? Do you think it, it should be segmentation or pers- using personas or personalization? Uh, I think persona-based marketing is still ultimately where, you know, we need to be. I think trying to target and put our message in front of a particular person, uh, even if it's a fictitious description that we've, I guess, keyed on, uh, that's the way to go. While I agree with you that persona use is actually very effective, and if you can get to it, that personalization is even more effective, I think pragmatically for hospitals and health systems today, I think we should be focusing more on segmentation because quite frankly, that's an easier bar to reach and it's probably going to have uh, you know, an equal amount of effectiveness than trying to go after and develop these you know, personas. I think you're better off just going after segments. It's an easier thing. I mean, millennial mom is really, you know, I like naming the personas first off. Secondly, I think it's the whole quality over quantity scenario. And so I think if we're purposeful about how we and how we create these personas and how we target and that we're, 
you know, super granular in that effort, we get way more bang for our buck in, in that perspective, even in a bid algorithm type scenario like AdWords and Facebook and things like that, we're going to be better off. I agree with you if we had that information, but read realistically, most hospitals and health systems don't have that level of information. When they get into personas, if they don't do proper segmentation first, jump into personas is like moving too far ahead. You're going to be basically building these personas on fictitious information because you don't have the ability to kind of accurately track and measure your persona. Now, most organizations, most market research firms, most hospitals, most health systems, they have access to consistent segmentation. Again, I'm not saying that persona work is not right. I'm just saying pragmatically, I think most hospitals and health systems are in the segment world. Maybe they are in the segment world, but they should be in the persona world. Well, arguably, they should be in the personalization world too, right? Yeah, but now we're getting into like outer space talk. Like, I'm not sure personalization, the one to one scenario is realistic. I do think the, you know, talking to your organization, understanding what the typical patient looks like that has this or that or the other, I think allows us a certain level of uh, persona development. Here is where we're starting to get a little, maybe we're quibbling over semantics here because. I think you're right, Reed. I think that being able to, to work with your organization, you probably have enough information to create a segment and some personas within that segment to address, for sure. I think ultimately, though, it's it's you, you need to have a common definition of, of your segments across your health system in order to be more effective because we don't want to keep that myopic view of just what marketing does because then we're going to go down that slippery slope of marketing just really doing promotion work. We really want to look at like how do these segments and personas actually yield uh, business results, right? Yeah, I think so. I think you're right. And again, it probably is semantics to some degree, but I think the idea is you know go as far as you logically can that you've got identifiable and purposeful uh, data that you can use and validate. All right, and we are back with the Ask the Expert portion of the podcast. And today we're actually asking experts. We've got two guests with us today. So I've got Suzanne Hendry from Renown Health. She's the VP of marketing out there. And uh, Linda McCracken, who is with Accenture's Health Practice as a senior principal there. Thank you both for spending a few minutes with us. Thank you, Reed. Suzanne, maybe as we jump in, for those that are not familiar with uh, Renown, um, maybe give a little bit of background. Uh, I'm with Renown Health, which is a large integrated health system here in northern Nevada. We cover about 100,000 square miles from Salt Lake City, Utah to Sacramento, California, and serve a large region that includes uh, northern Nevada, Lake Tahoe, and northeast California. When you're the VP of marketing there, and then our other guest, uh, Linda McCracken with Accenture. Linda, maybe give those unfamiliar with Accenture's health practice and kind of uh, your role, what's the typical day look like for you? Is there a typical day? It depends on who I have the honor of working with. So I'm with Accenture, which is a global management consulting and professional services firm. And the firm provides strategy, consulting, digital technology, and operation services. And one of the um, 
exciting and compelling factors about how Accenture sees the world is every customer is a digital customer, even if they're just starting. And so I'm really delighted because there is a lot of work being done across multiple industries and healthcare in its effort to catch up with, okay, how can we be more current time is very committed to getting what are the practices across industry into healthcare. My work is in customer engagement, and I'm excited to focus on innovation, digital engagement, and find that there's a lot of cost um, savings and redundancy takeout um, while having more engaged, active, and loyal customers. Thank you all for jumping on. And I know we want to talk specifically about uh, the senior segment project. Suzanne, if you could give me just, I don't know, a two-minute overview of, of what, what was the project or what is the project for those that aren't familiar. As part of our integrated health network, we have a health plan and we have about 138,000 local members in that plan overall. The project that Linda and I worked on was to reinvigorate our Medicare product, which is called Senior Care Plus, and that's part of Hometown Health, our insurance plan. I was new to Renown at that time. I had been here about six months, and they had very big goals in terms of we only had a six to eight week time period to market this program to a whole lot of seniors and how they had always gone about it was just to get every person over age 65 and mail them direct mail pieces and do a whole lot of advertising. And having learned from Linda previously that there are smarter, better ways to do this, looking at segmenting these seniors I went to Linda and said, gee, we have six counties in which we can market this Medicare Advantage program. Could you help us target those segments that would be best customers for the health plan? So in terms of what she said previously, and there was a lot of cost savings in that because we weren't marketing to every senior. Uh, We were marketing to those seniors that were specifically chosen as best members of this health plan. And Linda, we we talked a little bit about digital and, and you referenced digital, obviously, but senior adults, is that a good idea? Until I looked at the consumer research and we do a fair amount, um, I would not have thought that seniors would be so quick to adopt, but some of them are. I mean, as we all know, they didn't grow up with digital, so they're almost immigrants compared to digital natives. And so we, but in our research, we found that there is a tremendous volume of what we call silver surfers. And the characteristics of those who are more digitally inclined is they're harder to win over, but they are more loyal. So we wanted to look at what is the digital index for each type of customer. Now, it's pretty exciting when Suzanne raised the question. In the chance of teaming up with her CIO and her hometown health CEO, they were really excited when she got there and said, well, what kind of customer do we want? We don't want to be, I mean, aside from being all things to everybody and the door is always open, who do we specially want to go after so we can have a more personalized experience? And so that was very exciting because once she started asking that, it started to shift the conversation about, oh, there are certain kinds of customers that will appeal to more. 
a big shout out for her all, her career long question of let's go ask the customer because I think that started it and that really stunned her colleagues into saying let's delve deeper in this. Why senior adults? I mean, obviously you had the product. Not that you're not doing other segmentation work, because I'm sure you are. But why? Why was this one in particular uh, important enough? You know, to start working with Linda and really start focusing on as an organization. I would say seniors in healthcare are incredibly important. One because people over age sixty are the vast majority of those who are needing healthcare services. Many of us had our babies and went to the emergency room a few times and pretty much stayed clear of most healthcare services rather than having frequent visits or chronic illnesses or other things that kind of drove us to our local hospital. So we find seniors are an important population for us to reach out to Being in northern Nevada is also fairly special for seniors because we're a tax-free state um, in terms of state taxes. So we have thousands of Californians moving in from San Francisco and the Bay Area on a regular basis because it's much less expensive to live in northern Nevada. And we're just over the Sierra Mountain Range. So um, they could still have friends and family back in San Francisco and the Bay Area and live much cheaper and more conveniently without traffic (laughs) in a beautiful part of the country right here in northern Nevada. So uh, we're seeing an influx of seniors as well. And then the other piece was having my team here, both on the health plan side, as well as our marketing team, understand the power of market segmentation. That's something that they hadn't done here before in terms of using digital data and other data warehouses to construct a prospect mailing list and engagement list because what we received from Linda and Accenture was more than just a mailing list or an email list of uh, prospects that would be good for our health plan. They also had all kinds of engagement tactics based on what these segments were interested in, in terms of how they spent their nights and their weekends and how far they traveled. And Linda, so a little piggybacking off of that, uh, and you know, I'm not asking you to give away the secret sauce necessarily, but you know, what, what kind of efforts go into this? I mean, when you really think about whether it's senior adults or any other segmentation project, what does that mean to create uh, and really understand a persona or a segment? Well, and it's different for all. So Suzanne, in asking the questions of who should we target and who's the best fit for our health plan, for our health system, she and her team went through a series of conversations so we could get with us, so we could get a feel for what kind of customer would be most attracted to renowned health and hometown health. So the key questions were who, what, and how, who who were the likely um, best fit for the services and the product, what do they want, and how do we reach them? So Suzanne actually um, had us do work on um, together. We had a couple of co-creation workshops where we really got a feel for are there different types of customers, and among the seniors, what are we thinking of? Now, for a narrow network, then it's helpful to make sure that people are locally committed for their healthcare services. 
because then they're comfortable having, you know, year-round care. If they are asked to switch providers, then it's harder, having worked in the Medicare Advantage market, it's harder for them to switch providers, even if it's a better financial play. So once we could come up with the characteristics and the feeling for what the best match was and who, and her team is really, um, they're, they're awesome. And they all had a good feeling for the best experience comes from the customer that can. So once we came up with that, it was a good, easy matter of putting together analytics and then saying, all right, so we've got certain kinds of people who are more active, are ready to change providers. And so we were able to start narrowing down some of the analytic equations and coming up with both a qualitative and a quantitative picture of the customer base in the local market. So we actually evolved, I think, Suzanne, into five personas. And then we're able to prioritize based on these people and how they interact with their healthcare, their services, and their attributes, um, a couple of other key factors. Who were the ones that are most likely to truly love what, um, what messaging there was? So there wasn't a need to waste as much resources on those that were unlikely to be as engaged. It's fascinating to me to think that there are multiple personas inside of just a segmentation project around what people would consider one group, you know, senior adults versus teenagers versus this versus that. Uh, Suzanne, what did you see come from this? Not that you're done per se, but but what are the results? I mean, what, what's been the, the upside to doing this? So a couple of things. Uh, through asking a lot of questions with Linda and our IT team, as well as our health plan, we got to the common denominator that if folks drove their own car, that that would be something really important for them. They could come um, out to our events. They could uh, visit our practices, which are located in many neighborhoods in and around northern Nevada. That was an important finding that then led Linda and Accenture to be able to cull through that database, um, actually using Department of Motor Vehicles database to find out how many people were in these six counties were still driving their own cars. And even having that segmentation uh, was really key to the success that we experienced. We um, also did some testing of the advertising that we were going to run to these seniors because after Linda started telling us about the customer personas, we felt like we understood them much better. So we tested an ad campaign. Actually, we tested four ad campaigns with these customers and found out that they didn't like any of the ad campaigns that we had envisioned, which were pretty virile, um, almost marathoner seniors. These were people who were stock photos of people doing marathon runs and windsurfing on Lake Tahoe and sit-ups in their, you know, uh, living room floor. So we tested these campaigns and what came back was that, gosh, if I have to work that hard, I don't want to join your health plan. So what they'd rather have is to stroll through the farmer's market with their granddaughter or do some Tai Chi or some easy yoga with a friend. So we reinvented our ad campaign 
uh, to fit the customer personas that Linda had outlined with us. And then we tried again. They also talked about leading with a $0 or a low price point around the premium and having some very simple messages in terms of linking the health plan to our larger health system, which they were very familiar with, although only less than 50% knew who the health plan was. So we got very specific in the advertising. And then with the help of Rob Klein, who is a market researcher out of Chicago, we tested those messages again, and they came back with a resounding yes, this was a health plan that they would be interested in. So we ran um, both uh, direct mail, we did a lot of outreach events, we encouraged people to actually stop by and sit knee to knee with our counselors to help fill out their Medicare uh, paperwork, which is confusing for a lot of people. It really did a whole series of engagement activities that Linda had suggested all across these various counties to target these segments that, that we had prioritized. And the results that we got were incredible. We were able to increase by over a 1,000 members in the plan or over 7% in those six to eight weeks that we did that marketing, which was more than they had anticipated, which was great. So we celebrated our success and we kind of settled in. What we didn't anticipate was that people who were not 65 or over or interested in a Medicare Advantage plan also saw all of the advertising and engagement and the hometown health uh, overall went up 16% or by a little over 22,000 members joined who had seen a lot of this engagement work that Linda had helped us with and wanted to get into the health plan throughout the year. So it really helped with all of those other markets as well through a halo effect that we didn't anticipate going into it at the beginning. Linda, I, you know, the, most most folks that listen to this podcast, not not all, but but a lot of them, vast majority of them are are marketing professionals, or at least marketing and communication professionals, predominantly in hospitals. And so, people are probably listening to this. They're, they're they're thinking about segmentations, personas. Maybe they do a little bit. Maybe they don't. Maybe they'd like to try. I, you know, what are some of those first steps? Sure, Reed. And I think you're asking exactly the right questions. And you, I think you've probably already nailed it. The who. And that was what got Suzanne's team so excited because she said, who, who do we want? So by having that in a structured set of conversations and approaching it on a collaborative basis, the first step would be who is the customer most likely to come that we want to have? What do they want? And how do we engage them? Even from a qualitative point of view, because I'm not saying, oh, here, go do a big analytics project. It helps to say, hey, there must be different kinds of seniors, when my parents first retired, they were engaged, they were locally active, they were going on various educational trips, and then um, and so they were the go-go's, right? And then as seniors have age-related diseases, they slow down and they become slow-go's. And then when they become much more frail, they become no-go's. Now, it rhymes, but it's also a borrow from financial services. The first thing is who what types of customers might we have within a group? What do we know about them? 
and who are we most likely to attract with our messages and serve. And one of the things that really took, um, took off was Suzanne, in having the conversations about types of customers, she asked the people in the workshops and the discussions to further elaborate on the habits of the different segments that we were drawing, virtually drawing on the board, and then also to name them. So the workshop participants started naming them after their relatives. Her collaborative approach, the storytelling and the, um, the, the leverage of the nurses, the service line people, the salespeople, the marketing team is a great way to get a whole army behind you with Suzanne Bott at Renown. I really appreciate you guys coming on. If folks want to follow up with you directly, what's the easiest way for folks to track you down? Well, this is Suzanne, and if anybody has any questions or concerns, I'm glad to answer their questions. They can email me at shendery, H-E-N-D-E-R-Y, at renown, R-E-N-O-W-N, dot org, or seek me out on LinkedIn or Twitter. Linda? I'm delighted to connect with anybody. I'm lynda.mccracken at accenture.com. And I'm happy to be connected in any way they want to reach out. So whatever works for them. We'll be sure in the show notes to put uh, links to those email addresses and LinkedIn profiles. Thank you all very much for spending a few minutes. Uh, This is is exciting and I look forward to having you all both back on in the future. Thank you, Reed. Thank you for the opportunity. And closing up another successful episode, episode number 84, 84 almost in the books. Uh, Thanks again for listening. Thanks again for all that you do. Before we get to our recommendations um, and all the other little things that we ask, um, maybe we'll talk about where we'll be here in the next few weeks. And so, I mean, it literally is the next few weeks at this point. First, the Atlas Conference in beautiful Boston, Mass will be the next one. October 15th through the 17th, the Atlas Conference, for those of you who are not familiar, is a conference that's held by Kairos, and typically it's around patient access. This year's conference, it's really around systemness and how developing, I think it's getting towards the the digital front door kind of concept around how do you develop a system approach to engaging and providing access to to potential patients and patients. So that'll be the next one followed shortly thereafter. Just a few weeks after that, we will be out in Scottsdale, Arizona for the Healthcare Internet Conference, the 22nd annual Greystone.net Healthcare Internet Conference. And so that is November 5 through 7, like I said, in Scottsdale, Arizona. You can find out more about that at hcic.net. And so we will be there doing the podcast live from the Healthcare Internet Conference, much like we did last year. And then a week after that, that very next week, we'll be in Jacksonville, Florida, flying back across the country to the Mayo Clinic Social Media Network's annual conference. And we're going to be there doing podcasting as well and also talking about effective podcasting. We always love the Mayo Clinic Social Media Conference. It brings together people across the country to really focus on not just social media, but social media as maybe a beginning point or a definitive point around the whole online patient journey or the whole online experience. We're going to be looking forward to that. Always love going down to Jacksonville, Florida. You can learn more about that at socialmedia.mayoclinic.org. Okay. Recommendations. What do you have? 
All right, Reed, I'm going to recommend something that I just installed yesterday, which is the Larson Lakeview Split View Clear Glass Storm and Screen Door. We just uh, bought a house a couple months ago, and one of the first things we wanted to do is put in a new front storm and screen door. We have an enclosed patio, so we want to make sure okay. that that can become a three-season for us, right? And here in Minnesota, three season is very important because, you know, that fourth season, you don't want to be out on the patio. But still, we went over to the local uh, the local hardware store. This is a maybe a sub uh, recommendation. Menards is the local uh, yeah. hardware store. And we found ourselves this Larson Lakeview Split View storm door. It's really sturdy. It's a break-in resistant glass. It uh, comes in various different colors. We happen to get the cranberry color. So it's got this real nice feel to it. And you can also get various different handles to go with it because, you know, it's completely customizable. Uh, and we got the nickel straight lever handle for the for that screen door. Mm, nickel. Nice choice. Very good. Very, very good. I'm going to go with the Orbi router made by Netgear. Netgear's been around a long time. And I've been looking for a new router for a while, uh, not because I necessarily needed a new router, but I wanted something to allow me to better control the devices that are on my Wi-Fi network, predominantly because I have children with connected devices. And this comes with a installed piece of software, hardware, I don't, I don't really know what you call it, but you download another app called Circle from Disney. So it's kind of a two-in-one recommendation here. But what it allows me to do is set up actual profiles for each of my children. And it allows me to then connect uh, their devices to their profiles. And I can set time limits. I can set times of the day that they just don't work. Uh, if I want to just pause their usage, I can click a button. If I want to reward them, you know, I can set bedtime. Uh, I can restrict certain apps. I mean, all, all kinds of stuff. So it's, it's pretty neat. I mean, you know, nothing's perfect, obviously. It's not going to supersede actual parenting, but uh, it does help uh, with being able to see what they're doing and how they're doing it and what they're looking at and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So anyway, the Orbi router comes with the uh, Disney Circle appliance built in. Yeah, it's cool. Can you also like talk to it and it talks back to you? Is that like kind of the, that toy back in the eighties, right? The Orbi? Oh no, that's the Furby, right? That was the Furby. Yeah. You need a Furby router, I think. I don't. I don't think so. Really <laughs> so. Very good. Very good. Well, another successful episode. Again, if you have not, visit touchpoint.health. Check out the other shows on the network. Take our listener survey. We would certainly appreciate that. Um, that would be, be really awesome. And uh, please rate, review, subscribe wherever you get your podcast. That is the number one, a number one best way for anyone to find our podcast is by you subscribing. So, uh, we certainly appreciate the support, the feedback, and be sure to connect with us online between now and then. And for Chris Boyer, I'm Reed Smith, and we'll see you next week. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.